Multiverse. Uh, my name is Peter D.M. Castro, and thank you an infinite amount for listening to season one of System Switch. It's been a labor of love from uh, from me. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I could I think for everybody love. I can say that we've had an absolute blast. L- love for the game, you know? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this episode is going to be a little different uh, than normal. No fancy sound effects or music or anything like that. Uh, it's just the cast. No accents. The game. No accents, unfortunately. Just the cast talking about the game, the story, and the show. What if I said I was dipping my feet into a bucket of water? You going to put a sound effect in for me? Well, see, it's funny because you actually just did that in real life. That's We didn't add that those sound effects in. Right, right. That was real. Also, Paris, you can drop the character accent whenever you want. Yeah. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm uh, Paris, uh, quote unquote, binary dragon. Um, I'm I'm a, a British actor who lives in L.A. and I produce the show No Latency and I play bowler. Heck, yeah. I guess before we get into it, um, if you have any other questions for the cast or myself, please reach out on Twitter at at System Switch Pod. As soon as Elon closes the deal, I'm deleting my Twitter. That's fair. My name is Kyle Love. I uh, played Hicks. Play Hicks. I'm still. I'm still playing Hicks. Uh, and, and you I, played uh, Alice. I'm a, a, you know, character actor who lives in Seattle. I'm currently uh, character acting as Goose from Top Gun. Oh, yeah. No, currently that's not a joke. No, uh, literally, right now. <laughs> Specifically, <laughs> Goose. Specifically, Goose. I got the the Goose dog tags on. Wow. Uh huh. So Kyle is shirtless. And wearing aviators. Yeah, for, and for all of you a golden out there. cross and, and dog tags. And, and tight je- blue jeans. And I just took a screenshot for proof <laughs> down the line. <laughs> from Twitter. <Yeah. laughs> okay, just kidding, though. In reality, I run a, a bouldering YouTube channel. Go check it out. Badwater Bouldering on YouTube. It's sick. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and finally, Darren. Oh, hi. Uh, I'm Darren, just Darren Schultz. Uh, and that's uh, what I'm a Seattle based actor and comedian and sometimes per producer. Yeah, we'll go with that. I'm on a sketch team called the Maple Daddies. Oh, yeah. And you can find Maple Daddies on YouTube. And I do. I'm, I'm kind of getting back into improv, it seems, which is partially inspired by doing this show. So that's dope. So what are you guys' uh, experience with like RPGs and uh, Blades in the Dark in general? I played Blades in the Dark once before with you, Peter, and uh, it was fun. It was a good time. This was significantly more uh, engaging and involved, I would say. Yes. Uh, but I've been playing, you know, D&D for years and years and years and years and years and years. Uh, I have played D&D on and off since high school. Um, but never with a campaign that lasted more than nine months. Uh, I've played a little bit of some other TTRPG systems. I built one for a one-off brief, uh, a couple of years ago, loosely based on Lasers and Feelings, also by John Harper. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was uh, an adaptation of the show Bones. Uh, and it was actually for future side character, guest character Sophie Schwartz's birthday. That is a oh, that's fun. a fun connection there. Yeah, maybe I'll send you guys the document just because I I did a lot of like stuff for it. But anyway, yeah, like a uh, 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 enthusiast, but not a very frequent player. I first played Blades in the Dark with you, Spoon, in uh, Skull or Jade's Discord, and we played for a year and a half. Jeez. We played this amazing fun adventure that had through lines and people came in and out which is one of the great things i love about blades in the dark is if people don't show up it doesn't matter 
And if they never show up again, it also kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and we had a great time. And even the people who dropped in for one or two games said they had a great time. It was just more of a scheduling issue than anything else. And we had so much fun there. That's where Bowler was born as That's a right. character. Um, and he was pseudo immortal in a weird way. We made up rules that we never used. <laughs> it was very good. Um, it was very good. Yeah. It was fun, though. And it was fun. Like, one of the things I love about you as a GM is, is you, you do something I like as a GM, too, when I'm GMing, is law matters. So when players want to put law together uh, with you, you're very willing. And I like that a lot. It was, it was um, so much fun. It honestly is the reason why I was like, I need, I need to start. I wanted to make a podcast and I knew that it had to stand out in some way. And yeah. after the success of no latency, I was like, we got to do this and it's got to start with Blades in the Dark. I think that as uh, an eventual blog or something for the show you should grab the uh the breakdowns of every to every play session and put them there because that sort of inspired the show that would be a fun thing for our listeners to listen to it was it, it one of the things about you spoon is you filled out this like because we weren't making a podcast it was unrecorded so you'd write down everything and and you, these sort of essentially last time monologues <laughs> in text form that you dropped in the discord were just great um I played a little bit of D&D when I was a kid to finish answering the question. Uh, not a lot of it, though. Uh, I've done a lot of improv and acting over the years, classically trained actor in London, that kind of stuff. I started playing D&D with people on discords and stuff, and I played, started playing Blades in the Dark with you. And then I got back into it, and I really wanted to play more, and I ended up playing an obscene amount of Cyberpunk Red, which has now become the podcast, uh, the other podcast that we produce here at Radio Roll, No Latency. More information at nolatencypodcast.com. Which I think... Hashtag shameless plug. We'll see you in Night City. Thank you. Yes. So I honestly, I do, I do want to ask you boys, we're going to be playing a bunch of different systems here on System Switch. And so I want to talk candidly, you know, the good, the bad, uh, the ugly of what you think of the story and of the Blades in the Dark system in general. Let's start with season one. Uh, what'd you think? How did it go for you guys? Great place to start season one. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to say uh, when, when uh, Paris was talking about you allowing us to like develop lore in the game uh, that I feel like Blades in the Dark is good for that. Like uh, us coming up with stuff. And mm -hmm. I, I really like that. Plus makes it easier on you. You don't have to do as much work either. You can sit back and let us create the story. Ah, so it's nice. So nice. That's it, the easiest, best part is just to go. I don't really know what to do in this situation. I know. I'll just ask you guys. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think it does feel like it's really built into the rules of the system itself because you have, you know, heists as the main thrust of any campaign, which require backstory and, you know, pre-established things to establish what you want to take. And then with the flashback mechanic that also similarly, like you're adding details to the past to influence the future i used to hate the flashbacks so much i used to hate that the first time i played because i liked DD &D being like a game that was challenging and i have to like plan and grab a rope and if i don't have a rope oh shit i didn't bring my rope i really liked that and then when i played this i was like well this is so easy but then i realized oh no it's way more fun yeah <laughs> like like it's harder i mean it's the other one's harder but this is it's more fun you're way more likely to fail in this the, the thing I like about Blades in the Dark is it moves a lot faster 
because you are playing essentially backwards. Um, it's okay if you forget something, you stop feeling like you have to plan so much and you can be a lot more spontaneous, which in itself I think makes a better story because you're more yes-anding rather than, oh, but if. And oh, I, sure. ooh, but if is, is something that gets stuck into D&D &D and a lot of other TTRPGs a lot. And I like that the, the system itself, the bare bones system itself has a few things that just sort of push you in the right direction. Uh, one of them being the enemies and friends mechanic and like the people that your crew knows and the fact that your, you can build your crew sheet helps everybody. So there's this genuine camaraderie when you start playing that makes you feel like a crew. These things look very much yes and the player and the GM and let you, like, number of times, Spoon, during recording and actually in the other games we've played where you've said, oh, does anyone know a blah, blah, blah? And we'll be like, yeah. Like when we were like, does anyone know a medic? Yeah. Perfect example. And we knew two. Yeah. So you just put them together. <laughs> and those weren't, I believe those weren't things we had talked about before. It was just like, yes. And his name is Sawtooth. Yes. <laughs> oh, and they have a practice together. Oh, and yeah. it's called SNM. Oh, yeah. and yes. it's in this yes, very particular section of the city that we've never visited before. So let's go there immediately without further ado. <laughs> exactly. I will say we didn't roll engagement as much as I expected, but it didn't bother me. And I'm, I'm not sure of how the rules are about that, of whether the rules are like, if it's just going, let it go. But... I like that you you only put engagement in when you needed to, not just because you because the rules said to. Well, I think that's um, kind of that. I think that in general comes with a uh, a level of understanding that happens when the more that you play and run RPGs is the like mm -hmm. you realize that the mechanics are there to be used when they are relevant. And if they're not relevant, then it's like, just let it keep going, because honestly, the thing that you're in charge of as a GM above anything else is pacing. And that goes right. for, as far as I know, almost all RPGs that I've played is that you're in charge of making sure that there is momentum because it's and sometimes to slow that momentum and to speed it up. Right. right? That's that's your job above everything. And I but to go back to what you were saying, Kyle, um, I do think that this the more that I play the more RPGs, the more I realize that there's kind of two um parts there's like there there are the games that are more narrative driven and there are the games that are more uh mechanically involved and not none of them are better or worse um but there is a certain amount of like you were saying like there is almost a challenge in like a war gaming situation that happens um in certain in like D D and in uh other more mechanically heavy games that can be fun um but it also it's interesting, though, because I don't know if it is best suited for a podcast. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right. right. No, for sure. Thinking about like the optimal way to deal with situation is slow and boring. Mm -hmm. Rules are boring. Exactly. And that's why this game is just improv. It's just it was an it was just us improving with each other for hours and I, hours. I, great. The one thing I don't like about the system is how nebulous combat is. I, I wish it was a tiny bit more defined. Uh, that's really my only critique about it. It just doesn't, it always feels like it's just kind of up to the GM. And that, that feels, well, that's like dangerous the, is the wrong word, but misbalanced. Yeah. And that's I like what I liked about D and D is like, okay, this is like a, it's difficult. I need to pay attention and do it and, and play the best I can here. I did not need to do that. Just come up with no. something funny, roll with it. 
and which is great <laughs> to listen to and super entertaining when I listen to the episodes. I'm like, ah, this is a great way to deal with situation. Plus, we also almost always diplomatically dealt with stuff. Or sabotagely dealt we with. We never yes. really just like, no, yeah, I, like head on. And that's fine. And I will, I will put my hand up and say that's partially my fault. <laughs> well, 100% because I your much, fault. much, much yeah. prefer playing everyone against everyone else and walking out completely unscathed while everyone's covered in blood. I love that. And that's very much, I only really do that as Bowler. Bowler's like, I suppose he's becoming a, a, a player trope for me when I play certain games where Bowler is this, I don't know, attitude. Oh, I think it worked well with the crew that we had because when that didn't work, you had appropriate <laughs> backup. Right. I, I, I was just really enjoying listening to uh, the, the conflict in the alley with four. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, when this guy, the flashback to, okay, when this guy shows up, just <laughs> take him down. Just take him down. <laughs> Be like, oh, okay. Cause we had our conversation. You tried to convince him. And then we did a flashback and it was like, okay, if I can't talk him out of it, just uh, lay him out. Kill him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, and it, one of, that's one of the things I love about like Blades in the Dark, you're playing bad people. This is like a breaking bad conversation. It's like, well, but they're going to, yeah, no, they're altruistic in certain ways, but they're, they're, they're chaotic. Or at least Bowler is. Bowler's like, no, no, you're in my way. I will kill you. I give, I, I give no fucks. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's that thing of, of that kind of tenacity is really fun to play with. The, the uh, protagonists who are morally gray, and I take that inspiration from shows like Leverage, for example. Yeah, or Peaky Blinders, or yes. all of those. I mean, like those, those two shows right there, Peaky Blinders and leverage are just essentially the blades in the dark game as a tv show <laughs> exactly they're very good i want to ask you guys kind of point blank like what what were the most interesting things the most surprising elements of the of season one that caught you off guard or that you totally did not expect i do still it still feels weird that we almost like uh, throwing four through the lightning wall. That still feels like maybe the most messed up thing we did. The entire yes. no, by far it is the I, most I, fucked I up. I wish thing we did. I would have done more to stop it. <laughs> I'm glad you did yeah, that. I feel like that was, listening to it was so brilliant. Like there were moments where our characters disagreed on how to approach things, but I think that was the only time where like Kyle was morally like had to step in and try to and like I didn't you know I didn't and, want and me. ended up making it worse. That's what I love about <laughs> I that. Know. I'm just like no 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 stop oh now you're in mortal pain forever. Great. <laughs> I was I was playing I'm playing Hicks like you know he's a team player. You know? Like he's a nice guy and he's looking out for people and he wants everybody to be you know relatively happy. But he's a team player and so given that circumstance I'm like alright this is what we're doing. But uh, I uh, couldn't <laughs> take it at the very last second I realized that it was not the right move. Tried to step in, <laughs> made it worse. It was a whole, I, I regret so many things in that moment. I like all the little jokes we put in. There are references to other shows and characters and games we've played that weren't recorded. Uh, like Sawtooth being the doctor in the game I played with you, Spoon, and a Doctor in No Latency, and they're like, I love, I love the, I love meta shit. And whenever we had meta moments on the show, and you like let them be in the show, uh, I really enjoy those because, for the listener, I feel like it it reminds them that we're also players, mm -hmm. um, and I like that a lot. Those are, those are some of my favorite moments when we got just a tiny bit meta. And I think in the lightning war moment, there was a tiny moment of meta of you being like, mm -hmm. mm, this is pretty fucked up. Somebody should, I, I think, I think Hicks does this now. <laughs> well, I like, it's funny because I do think that like Hicks is 
like almost your grounding element bowler like the 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 fact that hicks is certainly more oh, my bowler now uh yeah yeah hicks is certainly more morally straightforward perhaps like you're a better guy you're a you're a nicer better yeah. dude yeah. than than bowler oh, is for sure <laughs> for sure what was the inspiration for alice oh okay so alice is that's hilarious um that was uh literally we started recording and it's like oh by the way you need to create a new character and i was like what okay um and so i was like i'm gonna create the most stereotypical bad character that i can possibly think of i'm gonna go try to seduce these people i'm like being all sexy like what a stupid character because i knew this character was gonna die like right away and so i was like all right let's do that and then turns out and then i flip it on its head and i'm like okay now i'm gonna do be murdering psychopath character just doing the the characters that are like uninteresting and uh extreme and then just have the her die out and i remember a friend of mine saying when she listened to the episode one she was like oh my god oh no then that character died and she was excited that that character died and i was like oh yeah nice perfect i made a character that you wanted to die i was like that's what i that was the goal and it's so funny because even in the show, everybody hates Alice, like mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah, I, everybody. I'm, oh, yeah, no, Alice I'm so sucks. curious as to even how that it must have just been like, a, well, I just need some people in this crew. I guess, Alice, and, you're in. And then the antithesis of that, of Hugh being like Bowler's childhood friend and then <laughs> dies the in the first guy. episode. I Yeah, I mean, I think I just went in the opposite direction of Kyle with that was I was like, well, if this character's going to die off immediately, I'm going to try to make him so endearing. <laughs> That. Which is great because we hit both the ends of the spectrum. <laughs> we really did. I did not. I mean, great on you, uh, Paris, for taking that as like character motivation for the rest of the season, even. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, Which there was a moment in the show where I felt Spoon being like, aha, I have Paris. I'm going to punish him. You're like, and his spirit disappears into. And I was like, oh, cool. He gets rest. That's great. <laughs> That's <laughs> maybe the funniest moment of the whole season for me, where he's just screaming in agony going, it's worse. It hurts more. <laughs> like, at least he's at least he's at peace. I know his soul is finally at rest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but like, but as Bo, like Bowler was just like, oh, I don't have to worry about that spirit coming back or turning into a demon. Great. Awesome. Uh, d- d- just to, like done. Thank you very much. It, it, Let's move it's on. It's sad, but he, Bowler is practical. Very. Yes. Uh, to a, to a cold extent, perhaps I should say that Darren and Kyle both knew that their initial characters are going to be killed off um, as like a plot point. How that happened or when it happened uh, was not. Oh, we scripted. knew when it was going to happen. I mean, we like, knew it was going to happen in the first episode. Soon. We knew it would be fast. Yeah. It was not scripted. Let's just it was, it it was, there was not going to be like, and then a giant hammer is going to fall on you. Like, right, we didn't right, know. Right. right. And like, all the roles were legit and, and above board. Like, absolutely. It, How many sixes we got? Holy crap. Oh, my God. Uh, let's see. Uh, I knew I wanted to play it. I just read, I remember reading through the classes and feeling like Cutter was a good fit because mm. that, that looked like a, fu- it looked like a fun archetype to play in this world. Like the, yeah. the bruiser, the big guy who gets shit done. Uh, and so I initially was going to give him, uh, back in our unreleased episode zero, like a Cockney accent was my idea. And then Paris and I, who had only been communicating over discord up until that moment spoke and I was like, oh, fuck, this guy's English. <laughs> <laughs> so I changed it to some assimilation of an Australian accent, uh, <laughs> which I get only from 
listening to a lot of the sketch team, Auntie Donna, which is why Simon's landlord is named Broden, who is one of the members of Auntie Donna. Right. That was uh, an answer to one of my questions of my favorite characters. Broden? (laughs) (laughs) Visually, I was thinking Vinnie Jones in like... (gasps) uh, Snatch came to mind first, and then we had a whole conversation about that. Um, and I think ultimately he he's closer to how he appears in the show. Oh, I had to look it up because I don't remember. Um, Gallivant, which was this like short lived musical comedy series that's really bizarre and honestly worth a watch. I think because it's uh, musicals in general. Like if you've ever seen Crazy Ex Girlfriend, musicals on TV are insane. It's so much extra work. Anyway, it's an interesting show. He plays just like that character, like a big bruiser. Who's ultimate? Who plays very mean, but is ultimately nice. Once you like scratch a all the heart, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, he's he's like a villain in the first season, and then sort of once he be, gets paired up with a greater villain, has to be like, oh, okay, I'm not actually down for all of this. So I think like a, a softer version of that for Simon. You know, he's a tinkerer. Like he works with intricacies, <laughs> despite being a big guy who who does big attacks. And he, and he runs a shop that's incredibly unsuccessful. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he doesn't, he doesn't let it get him down. And the no. only thing, I can't remember if I ever mentioned this in a recording, but I think it's emblematic of how little combat we did. Yeah. Was Simon had, from day one, a jewel-encrusted shillelagh as his like primary weapon <laughs> that I don't think I ever... Just it just never came up. I didn't even know that until this very moment. <laughs> yeah, it was it was like scary weapon is is a, an option on the character sheet. So I wrote down like shillelagh, which is essentially a whacking stick uh, of Irish origins with like rubies or something encrusted in it to look scary and do extra damage. Oh, that's very good. Did I ever draw my weapon? I don't feel like I ever drew a weapon. I might have drawn it and just, but like only as like a means of like, okay, yeah, we all have weapons here. But I don't, I don't think I ever like intended to use a weapon the entire Did you season. Ever shoot anyone in the entire no, s- like? I don't think so. <laughs> wow, I didn't pull this. Did I pull the sword out of the cane once? You, I don't know if you did actually. No, I don't like think my I only did. time I can think is like when we were talking to the bill hooks and it was like you know everybody draws their weapons, but like I knew we know it wasn't going to be a fight, but it's you have to just like you know. You got to pose up anyway. Yeah. Wow. I never I, it, it is kind of occurring to me now that the entire season, there was hardly any real like hand to hand combat other than the very first scene of the very first episode. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was still uh, engaging. At least that's what I think. Yeah. Well, by the end, I was like, how are we going to fight a ghost? <laughs> yeah. I love the end. The ending is the best part. The fact that we just convinced him to just be a battery. That's the coolest <laughs> shit I ever heard in my life. Yeah, and that's just like random, like you you just randomly said, I've always wanted to make a battery at some earlier episode. And that ended up being like instrumental. Yeah, like that was not brilliant. planned. Again, that's worth noting that like that not hardly any of the show was like really like scripted out, planned out other than the very first scene in the very first episode. Other than that, it was just reacting to the players and their decisions and their agency and then filling out, you know the the holes there and the gaps and i i think i conflicted with that a little bit because i'm so used to like the the let's play podcasts real play podcasts where they have these like long narrative arcs i mean adventure zone is the really the only one i've listened to so my my tastes are a little uh narrow narrow but once i kind of got into that and just accepted it it's like 
yeah, you can just kind of do whatever you want. I think it really like opened up for me and I felt I felt a lot more free to just like make weird decisions for what Simon has done and will do. My biggest complaint with the Blades in the Dark system is that you need complete player buy in. Like everyone needs to be on the same page from the very get go. Otherwise, it doesn't move very freely. And then you can have some pretty big like butting of heads that can really slow down the game and, and potentially have it crumble entirely. Um, right. But when you have three incredible actors and performers and role players, then you can get something that is really incredible. And then you can have things that like where you can just offhandedly say, I, I have this brilliant idea for a, a spirit battery. And then six episodes later, it becomes the like crux of the entire season uh, that wraps it all together in a nice little bloody bow. It, it fantastic work, gentlemen. Feels pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So lastly, before we go, before we let Darren uh, and Simon back behind us, uh, what what is Simon up to now? Now, we did have a button at the at the season finale uh, of you getting a new crew together. But, uh, you know, it's it's probably been a few uh, few years now. We look back and uh, what's what's the like? Oh, wow. You know, what's the uh, the, the credits roll? And there's a freeze frame of Simon. And what does it say underneath? You know, Simon has since. <laughs> Simon got really into the 70s and we never saw him again. <laughs> Uh, I think if if you were to ever return to Duskfall, it would look very different because of the events of our story, where now essentially the fundamental way that power, like uh, power, power, not like uh, metaphorical power. But like also that's kind of a theme that we explored and that is the same in a way. But also power, power, I suppose, with with the death of Mr. Ashkani. I say death in quotes. So I think, you know, probably a new form of crime has sort of had to take its place. I think there was maybe an adjustment period where it's like the things that were once valuable are not necessarily as valuable as they were. And maybe now the things that weren't as valuable, like, say, the ability to capture spirits to create spirit batteries for self-contained projects are now maybe way more valuable. So maybe maybe Simon and Aldo are working together with the new crew whose names I don't remember, (laughs) but I know are another cutter type character uh, with a thick Scottish accent and a literal child. (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. Yes. Uh, And they now have a new sort of crew. It's a troubled water 2.0. If Aldo could have been convinced to to join a life of crime, I think he would have had to, I think he's got too much of a record now. Yeah. But maybe almost like season one was a flashback to, Simon's story. Yes. Sort of taking place currently. Wow. Fascinating. Wow. Uh, So, so yeah. So I imagine the four of them maybe have a new sort of crime business that involves dealing with spirits in a new way. And Simon gets to continue to work on tinkering, keeps a, a, a single bust of bowler on the mantle place under the troubled water. Just one bust, (laughs) uh, with a decent sketch of Hicks. And uh, a framed photograph of the two of them uh, <laughs> like, yeah. laying on the floor <laughs> after they had their space journey in their brains. Yes, that's oh, oh yes. that's incredible. Incredible. That was well, thank you so much, Darren. You were honestly uh, a I could not have asked for a a better player 
and performer uh, oh, to join oh. us in season one. So you were fantastic. Uh, I appreciate it. I was so happy to be asked to do this and to get to join in and to meet you, Paris, uh, an excellent uh, companion on this journey. And Kyle, who I'd met once years before and now actually work with in real life. <laughs> now we're best friends. Now we're best friends. Ever <laughs> since we went to Washington, D.C., we're best friends. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, I mean, thank you. I'm so excited to see where the show goes and uh, happy to have been a part of its inception. You're leaving Sophie with some big shoes to fill. Oh, you're it's not even she's going to fucking she's kill it. Feet? No, famously. <laughs> oh, tiny feet. Okay. Famously, extremely big small socks. feet. All right. That'll work. Uh, but we will we'll meet Sophie uh, after the break. Uh, until then, we'll be right back. In case you didn't know and weren't following us on Twitter, which, by the way, at System Switch Pod, follow us on Twitter. We're excited to announce that, that season two is going to be playing Scum and Villainy. Yeah. Yeah. By uh, Stras Asimovic and John LaBeouf Little. Space stuff. Space stuff. It is essentially a uh, sci fi rendition of Blades in the Dark, um, which means it's a great jumping off point to switch systems. And joining us is. Sophie, uh, please introduce yourself and let us know uh, your background and what drew you to the show. Hi, I'm Sophie. I am an improviser, sketch comedian, and a devout RPG player. And I was drawn to the show because I love different game systems. I love getting to play with new people. And I'm also a friend of Darren, uh, who was on season one. Um, and he told me that it was a rip roar and good time to play with you guys. So I knew <laughs> I had to <laughs> slide my way in. <laughs> Let's go. I'm, I'm very excited to have you on. Uh, it's going to be a great breath of fresh air to to have a, a new player uh, and a new voice. So I'm super excited. And I, I'm curious between sci fi and fantasy what are your what are your inspirations and what do you hope to bring to the table here this 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 season? I love both sci-fi and fantasy. I have to say I come from a more like fantasy heavy background. Like I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. Um, I like a traditional like, you know, elves and wizards kind of bullshit. But <laughs> I I also am very much getting into sci-fi more now from some book series that I've been reading. And so I'm really excited to explore a new genre for myself and kind of bring magical thinking to a sci-fi setting. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And I think there's going to be a lot of that this season. And uh, Kyle in Paris, uh, what about you? What what kind of um, inspirations are you drawing from and what are you excited about uh, with sci fi versus where you're coming from, which is the more steampunky fantasy side of things? Uh, I always uh, love this. My only books that I read are sci fi books. I just like Arthur C. Clarke books. Um, And uh, so I immediately when we were like discussing you know, backstories or, or world settings and things. I'm like, how do I make this science fiction, like real science fiction? Like what would, <laughs> what would it be like in the best, the easiest terms, but like, you know, Arthur C. Clarke spends hours thinking of stuff and I'm going to have to do it on the spot, but I'm going to like try to make it, you know, that's, that's, that's where I'm coming from. I kind of, I think I'm going to play a lot more. A lot of this is going to be the displaced from a different universe person. Mm. I think is going to be my lead thing because that's the thing that I'm finding most interesting about our show. 
the character from the from the actual universe we're jumping into. I like the runaway mechanic that we're maybe throwing in there as a hint to what's happening. Not saying everything. <laughs> Shh, secrets. Quiet. Don't tell anyone. It's going to be a rip roaring good time, as Sophie said. <laughs> uh, so, so what kind of um, what are you most excited for? In season two, what kind of like stories do you want to explore? What kind of, uh, you know, adventures do you find yourselves getting into? Destruction. Uh, I'm very excited about uh, space heists. I, I'm excited to heist in space. I've heisted in the fantasy realm. I may have heisted in real life. Now it's time to heist in space. <laughs> Well, I well now I'm very curious uh, about what kind of um, gum you've stolen from the Safeway, but we'll move past that. Uh, so let's let's talk about how you've reimagined your characters, uh, Bowler and Hicks, um, to exist in this sci-fi world. Uh, and I'd love to know a little bit about Sophie's character as well. Uh, well, Hicks in uh, the the previous season was a tracker, and so you know, good with tools I did, and with his eyes as well. Uh, Mostly you ended up using eyes and intuition over <laughs> tools uh, like it didn't use very many bear traps, but uh, I wanted to, you know, continue that uh, tradition, that theme. And so I'm I'm going to be a, a mechanic and I'm going to be using uh, wrenches and things to uh, and screwdrivers and wiring. Yeah, well, you, you I think w- one of my favorite things that we kind of talked about uh, outside of the recording was uh, your your upbringing. Uh, so what was what was Hicks's upbringing again? Or do we want to save that for the show itself? Oh, I was just uh, Hicks is just uh, an apprentice to a to a, a, a junker, basically. And so I would just uh, tinker with things and, you know, he'd get junk and he'd tell me to fix it. So I'd fix it. And uh, I spent many years doing that until I became very good at it. And then I uh, just sort of jump around ships and uh, help people with their mechanic problems. And now you've gotten tied up with the uh with the uprising right i got tied up in it uh, on accident and really just hanging out with uh with my buddy bowler who we've been buddies for a long time but i don't know this i'm confused (laughs) (laughs) that's true there's a lot of uh there's gonna be a lot of like what the hell is going on here it's different hicks that's a space hicks you know space hicks real hicks is uh doesn't know is very confused at the present moment (laughs) (laughs) so sophie tell me about your character I uh, love to. My character is named Melanette Wolf Ludmark, and she is a um, illegal spaceship racer, gambler, <laughs> and uh, also part of the uprising. She comes from kind of a nomadic space family, and she's got it out bad for the hegemony. Hegemony? 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 Potato, potato. Potato, potato, potato. May they all burn in hell. You know, people don't even know really how to say that word. And that's why that's half the reason people hate them so much. It's like, get off your high horse. Just call yourselves the empire. okay? (laughs) yeah. Who are we fooling here with this hegemony bullshit? (laughs) You blow up innocence. From your high, big old spaceships and you think you're super fucking cool and you're like, you can't go past a certain amount of fucking light miles if you're in this zone. And you know what? I think that's bullshit. I take every ticket and I rip it up, then I shoot it with my laser gun. Because you're a badass. Because I'm a badass and fuck the system. Fuck speed limits. I mean, 
you know, the hegemony killed my parents, but also I want to go fast. (laughs) (laughs) And binary, how has Bowler transitioned uh, into this new sci-fi world? How has he been re-envisioned? OG Bowler is very intrigued about this multiverse bullshit. And we'll be talking about it a lot and trying to work out what the fuck's going on at some point. Uh, Bola from this universe is very, very private about his history. Um, He doesn't talk about where he's from. And he is, however much he hates it, he's made his money just working in bars across the sector and then like just doing deals and stuff. He's got a nice kitty of stuff. Uh, but it's stored away and not nearby. So there's some there's some money out there he's hidden away. Oh, that's convenient. Mm. And the only person who can get to it is me because it's got a DNA lock. God, that is uh, mysterious as hell. I suppose we'll have to figure out what that means in season two. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, you guys. Uh, and look forward to season two coming out in the near future uh to whoever yes yeah the near future to this to this feed hell yeah don't touch that dial make sure you stay subscribed and uh it's been really awesome seeing people rate the show uh please continue to do so it makes a massive difference if you enjoyed season one and you want to help us out that's one of the ways other than listening i think that you can help is by reviewing and tell your friends if you like the show let them know how cool it is and tell them to listen because it really does help us out and we can't wait to get up to hijinks in the Procyon sector. I'm really appreciating all of your handwritten love letters that I'm getting in the mail. That's really nice. I appreciate That's, that. Thank you. That, I don't know how you found his address, but great work. Listeners, keep at it.